Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Make now. We're bad and we're back. Doug Maurice with Bill Landis, Ari Wasserman, and me, Doug. We are the Bad Podcast here for Cleveland.com, covering Ohio State football. The Ohio State Buckeyes heading to New Jersey this weekend. Our first trip to Piscataway to cover the Buckeyes and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Uh, Plenty of things happening with the Ohio State football team. Um, Perhaps you heard about the fact that Cameron Johnston is their best player. He's a tremendous punter. I wrote about that this week at cleveland.com slash OSU. Also some quarterback stuff happening. But we want to look. Bill's mad because usually he does the punters and the kickers. Um, Yeah, that's my territory. Back off. We want to look a little bit bigger picture. But I think before we get there, um, Ari and Bill, let me ask you this. The decision Urban Meyer made at the start of this year to play Cardale Jones as the starting quarterback for seven games before he announced that he's switching to JT Barrett as a starter for game eight. Was that a mistake? Short answer, can be a little bit more than yes or no. Bill, did Urban Meyer make a mistake with his choice of Cardell Jones? Uh, I'm going to say no. I think he might have underestimated the weapons that he had around Cardell Jones. I don't think Urban Meyer would have assessed his offense knowing what it is right now and say Cardell Jones is the right guy to play. So I, don't, I wouldn't say he made a mistake. I think maybe he misinterpreted the talent that he had on his roster. Yes or no mistake, Ari? What do you think? It's like crazy because it's like it's still happening. So it's, it's hard for me. Yeah, I think you made a mistake. Um, and it was a point that you made and everything that you say I just repeat. But, that makes <laughs> but um, you know, the, the thing that I can't get out of my mind ever since Urban Meyer said it was the idea of, hey, JT is the right guy or is a very good player once he gets rolling. And the idea of Ohio State having played half their season already and him not have been able to give an, wasn't given an opportunity to get rolling. So maybe he'll have an okay game at Rutgers like you said, and maybe he'll have an okay and he'll have the bye week, he'll stay the starter and he'll have an okay game against Minnesota, but what if game 3 was that Michigan State is that how quick it is? Illinois, Illinois and yeah. then Michigan State. What if game 4 for him was actually game 8? And that's the only time where I think we'll really tell whether or not JT was equipped uh, to beat that team like he was so well-equipped to do a year ago because he had the entire season to get ready for it. And now he only has four games to get ready for it. So that's the only thing that I think it bite them right now. But I do think that JT is the right choice. And I just think it's ironic that everybody had arrived at JT before 
and it seemed like it took Urban Meyer two months longer to arrive at the same conclusion that everybody else was at before the season started. Yeah, so I was going to get into this in the, in the story I wrote after the announcement, and I kind of went a different direction. But I did find it fascinating that for a long time, a fan base that absolutely loved Urban Meyer and has loved everything he has done at Ohio State, and rightly so, completely disagreed with him. Like every time we did a poll about the quarterbacks, JT Barrett got like 90% of the vote on Cleveland.com. So here was a huge, passionate, successful, winning national championship fan base in complete disagreement with its national championship coach about the most important player on the field. I found that to be interesting. And it's, you know, I don't, from a fan's perspective, I almost think it's, it probably is a little bit of a, of a relief. That he's gone to the guy that the fans have wanted because like you're on the same page with your coach now, and so I think for a fan they probably feel a little better about that. It's so funny because like when we think something and the fans think something long term, it's usually not right. <laughs> it's just the idea that they were claiming and we were claiming that JT was the guy the entire time, and it was just like that as of right now as we sit here was the right guy for the job, and um, you know it's just. It's always been fascinating because everything that Urban said about what he wants and prefers in a quarterback, JT seemed to embody, which I think you wrote in your lead today, and it took him a while to arrive at this. The thing is, I'll say, I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was a calculated gamble that didn't work, really, but it didn't cost him anything. And that's a really good kind of gamble to make, where even if you lose, you don't lose. Now, the point that you make, if JT is not at his best against Michigan State, then that would be a loss to some degree. At this point right now, I think you can expect that JT Barrett, should he remain the starter and be the guy, which I think is what we all think is going to happen, has plenty of time to get up to speed and has plenty of time for this offense to be at its best when it needs to be, which will be for that final five-game stretch against Michigan State, Michigan, Big Ten Championship, and two playoff games if they get that far. The interesting thing that I I've read and I've I've read in like comments and just on Twitter and, and message boards is this idea, and I don't know. I think it's very interesting. The idea of Ohio State can run through the Big Ten, put up some major numbers with JT as their quarterback, but if they're going to beat a team like Alabama, Cardale is better suited for the job against a team like Alabama, which I found. Fascinating because obviously he got the job done last year against Oregon, Alabama, and Wisconsin in the biggest games of the year. Is there a reality to that, you think, where there's a quarterback who might be better suited to run the offense right now, but when they start playing against five-star stacked rosters, they might need that boom guy that Cardell brings when he's not busting and he's booming? I mean, I, I think there's enough to it that I think that factored into Urban Meyer's decision, in my opinion. I don't buy that. Um, I don't know. I just think that... And maybe it's because I had a, I had a conversation with with Dane Brugler, the NFL draft guy at CBSSports.com, for a story that's running on Wednesday morning, and he basically said that the Cardell Jones that we're seeing now is the Cardell Jones that we saw in the three games last year. He just kind of got bailed out because Devin Smith was hanging around. And I think we've agreed with that. We've thought that sort of the whole way, right? Yeah, which to me means like if Ohio State for whatever reason comes up against Alabama again, I don't know if if. I think it was more the players around Cardell Jones that gave Ohio State the right blend of talent to beat Alabama and beat Oregon and beat Wisconsin than it was Cardell Jones himself. you got to ask the conspiracy theory question. Does Ohio State win the national championship with JT as their quarterback last year? Last year, I mean, I think the thing that worked out, and I said this when they were doing the two-quarterback system, in the end, the idea of last year they had a two-quarterback system that was regular season quarterback and playoff quarterback 
probably worked out better than anybody realized in the moment because that offense was stagnating a bit with JT Barrett in the last two games of the regular season against Indiana and Michigan. It was not at its peak performance as an offense, or I don't, I don't think JT Barrett was either. We, the, the, thing, the caveat I'll say to that is, and Bill has made this point, the Michigan State game, I think you could argue, last year is still their best game of the year. JT Barrett and that offense were awesome in East Lansing that night. Yeah, and Michigan State, I think, was maybe not quite on the level of Alabama just because the, the recruiting talent is different. But, I mean, it, the gap is not so large that I don't think you could – you could compare the two for sure. And, and JT Barrett, I think, performed as well as any Ohio State quarterback did last year in, in the biggest game of the year. And I would say that JT Barrett and that Ohio State offense that beat Michigan State on the road mm-hmm. last year could have beaten Alabama or Oregon or anybody in their path and I think could beat anybody in Ohio State's path this year if JT Barrett plays like that and if the people around JT Barrett play like the people around JT Barrett played against the Spartans last year. Now, we talked about whether Urban Meyer made a mistake as a coach with his quarterback choice, and I, and I, you can debate that up and down. Um, you cannot debate Urban Meyer's success on the field at Ohio State in four years this far. And you also cannot debate his success in the other equally important part of his job, which is recruiting. So while the Buckeyes are the defending national champion and the current number one team in the country, which means 2014 number one, 2015 number one, they're also number one in 2016 and 2017 when you look at the recruiting rankings for both those classes. So we want to talk about Urban Meyer on the Bad Podcast right now. Again, Doug Maurice with Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis, the Cleveland.com Ohio State crew. What does Urban Meyer do better? Is he a better football coach or is he a better recruiter? And we'll start with Ari, our recruiting guru. <laughs> if you haven't read Ari's stuff on Ohio State recruiting and Big Ten recruiting at Cleveland.com, go there now and start reading it. Um, he's going to have a bunch of stuff coming next week. He has stuff coming every day. Ari, as you evaluate Urban Meyer, the recruiter, and what you've seen him do through four years, is he even better at that than he is at coaching football? I believe that's what he's best at. And I'll never forget this. And, um, you know, John Cooper is like a funny guy now. He's just like, you forget that he was the head coach of Ohio State for you know 10 or 11 years. Uh, but he's around the, uh, the campus a lot, and he's always joking around. And he goes, he said something like, shoot! The team with the best players is always going to win. <laughs> and it's just like sometimes we sit here and, and it's our job to analyze the gamble between Cardale Jones and JT Barrett and Ezekiel Elliott and all the X's and O's and all the things that go into football. But at the end of the road, the team that usually wins the game is the team that has more talent. And I think that there's no mistake that when you see the correlation between recruiting rankings and the playoff rankings that there's a – you know, for except for a few, you know, teams like Baylor and, and even Oregon, who's kind of in the 15s and 20s usually in recruiting, the teams that bring in the most talent are the ones that win the most. And um, you know, the whole motivational tactics stuff that you know Urban Meyer is known for, and you know the spread offense, and he's one of the creators as, as we've noted. But just the ability to relentlessly bring in the best players on a year in and year out basis without getting stale as a program. 
both at what he did at Florida and both what he does at Ohio State, I think that's his best claim to fame. Is he better, Bill, as a recruiter? Yeah, I think so. Because even I think you can certainly criticize Urban Meyer for the way he's handled this season. Some of the the, the play calling things, the personnel decisions, and things like that. The fact that Ohio State has not looked very crisp on the field when they should have juxtaposed with the fact that he's still reeling in number one recruiting classes. So while he may be still trying to feel things out on the field with X's and O's and stuff like that, he certainly hasn't slowed down. If anything, he's kind of picked up in well, recruiting. So I think he's certainly a better recruiter. We talked about it already. And you said it about the national championship last year and the run to it. Cardale Jones had a lot of weapons. And you wrote about this last year, that 2013 class. What call did he make? What game plan did he come up with that was more impressive than signing the 2013 class? And maybe that's like a simplistic way of looking at it, but... I mean, I'm looking at the 13 class right now. Von Bell, Jalen Marshall, Joey Bosa. It's amazing. Ezekiel Elliott, Dontre Wilson... Garyon Conley now. You know, it's just the Tyco Lewis, Darren yep. Lee, Billy Price. It's just the entire team, basically, it, it, were the ones who made all the plays down the stretch. So, I mean, what what is better than what he did in 2013, Doug? I'll make, I'll make two points I want to make. One is, I think the best thing Urban Meyer does currently as a head coach is create a structure for winning. And I think he applies that equally to recruiting and to coaching. And, you know, we stand around and talk with other reporters a lot when we're waiting for interviews and that kind of thing. I was talking the other day, and this is a point that I'm kind of stealing from someone else, but that structure that that goes from your recruiting plan and the people you have in place to execute your recruiting plan and the way you close deals that goes down to how you train your assistant coaches, the things you do to set up the, the whole holistic view that you want your players to have on the world, the way you get those players to relate to each other, um, that whole thing I think Urban Meyer has down. And I think that structure helps them target recruits, helps them strategize, not waste time, figure out who they want and how they can get them in a very productive way. And I think he applies that same strategy and structure to Every day in the locker room, every day in the meeting room, every day in the practice field, every Saturday on game day. So I'm sort of hedging my answer because I think it's sort of both because it's the same approach and that's why it works. Is that stuff coaching though? Is that I mean, is that coaching that, or being a CEO? I think that's a lot of CEO. I think it's a lot of setting up a way to allow the people that work for you to succeed. And that includes... Your assistants, whether they're recruiting or coaching, that includes the recruits you're trying to get and the players you already have. I think it includes all that. So I think he is a very good CEO, and and maybe that CEO thing is even more important in recruiting, but I think it applies to both things. Now, the other point I want to make, and the 2013 class we've written and talked about a million times, I think one thing, and this will be interesting going forward as we do see how good the classes coming in are, there were key, 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 key guys from last year's team who were not Urban Meyer recruits. Do they win the national championship without Devin Smith? Not an Urban Meyer recruit. Do they win it without Cardell Jones? Not an Urban Meyer recruit. Do they win it without Michael Bennett? Braxton Miller carried this team for the first two years Urban Meyer was here. Not an Urban Meyer recruit. There were very... Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. One of the, I think, the 
most unique guy on this team. They don't really get guys from California. He basically was Cardale Jones' roommate at a prep school and wound up here. I don't even know how. Where would they be without Michael Thomas, last year or this year? So, as we see some of the couple, maybe not flaws, but a, a couple of the weaker spots on this team, they're at some of the spots where they lost the guys who weren't Urban Meyer recruits. So, we are still this year and next year seeing the teams that are full Urban Meyer teams. Last year wasn't 100% Urban Meyer, so I'm interesting to judge. I'm interested to judge the teams going forward when we get the whole Urban Meyer thing, because we can't forget how much they did rely on some of those guys who he inherited last year. I think that's a great point, and uh, yeah, the enti- the entire idea of just um, the guys that he brought in. I think what was so impressive about the Urban Meyer recruits of last year's team was the age that they were. And the, one of them I didn't mention is in that 13 class and I was listing them off as JT Barrett. And I think that the quarterback position, more than any position on the field, is important enough or is a must hit. You can't, I think you're, you're seeing it a little bit with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan State, or I mean Michigan, sorry, and he hasn't recruited yet, but like just the idea of you got to at least have that down. And, and Urban Meyer's number one pluck, which I think we'll get to in a minute, was a kid from Texas named JT Barrett, and that was a hit. Um, but I think that, you know, and this is Bill's topic here, but, like, there were a lot of trusted <coughs> aides on last year's team, like you mentioned, like Michael Thomas. And sometimes I wonder if the complete Urban Meyer team would be enough to win a national championship because some of those players that were – Trussell guys played unique roles that right now Ohio State doesn't have to replace, and I think specifically at wide receiver. I think that gets back to the idea that I don't know if you talked about, but we or wrote about, but we've certainly talked about that now with JT Barrett at quarterback and those guys who Trussell recruited no longer here that we're going to actually see Urban Meyer's offense, which it's quite possible we haven't seen the full Urban Meyer effect in the four years that he's been here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. It's something. I don't know what Urban Meyer, I think Urban Meyer would admit this. They haven't hit on a lot of like the bigger receivers. They recruit a lot of those H's, a lot of those smaller hybrid guys. But when you think about the success they had with Michael Thomas, Evan Spencer, and Devin Smith last year as bigger receivers um, that were not Urban Meyer recruits, and the guys he's brought in are Jalen Marshall, Johnny Dixon, Jay, um, did James Clark, was that Urban? James Clark. James Clark. KJ Hill is a guy who I think maybe is that more, maybe a bigger receiver type guy, but he was a late he was a late grab because Chris Ash had Arkansas connections. That wasn't much as much of a full plan to get that guy. So they have great strategy, they have great plans. I think they're you know it's interesting. There's a couple um, positions where they do need to do better, and I think Urban Meyer would tell you that, and I think that's one of them, and it greatly benefited the Buckeyes last year to have some of those leftover Jim Trestle receivers because I don't know, they, they don't win without those three guys. Without Devin Smith, Evan Spencer, and Michael Thomas, they don't win last year. They're missing two of those three this year, and you can see how they, how they are wishing they had those guys. Um, I just looked it up, and Urban Meyer has not signed a receiver that's more than six foot. Can you write that down for a story you're going to do, like in two weeks? Because that's like a really good story. I does that include future classes, or is that through? I'm just like talking about current players on the team, okay. like Terry McLaurin. I mean, all these guys. Terry McLaurin's six foot. Paris Campbell's six foot. Johnny Dixon was six foot. Um, KJ Hill's only six foot. 
How tall is Michael Thomas? I don't know if that's six three. I think he's six right? three or six four. What about Torrance Gibson? Uh, Torrance Gibson is six two, I think, but he recruited him as quarterback. But does that count? Torrance Gibson's bigger than life. You can't put. You can't judge him by the size. Did you just throw a wrench in my stat, Bill? <laughs> Um, no, because I, I wouldn't include Torrance because he was recruited as a quarterback or athlete, and I don't think. I mean, he's playing receiver now, but I think you could. If they told him he was a rec- if they yeah. told him he was a receiver in recruiting, he might not. He wouldn't yeah. be here, right? right? He'd be at the place that told him he'd be a quarterback. Let me let me ask this. I want I want Frank Apatropoulos was six three. I want to ask this guy. question. Frank Apatropoulos is undefeated at Michigan State, baby. Yeah. He uh, Frank Apatropoulos tweeted something funny. Oh, Frank Epitropolis. Okay, Frank. Why Frank Epitropolis Frank tangent. Epitropolis right now. Make sure we get Frank Epitropolis in the headline. His father played at Ohio State. His father is actively involved as an alumni. Frank Epitropolis was one of the guys recruited while Luke Fickle was the interim head coach. Uh, came to Ohio State, was a receiver and a punter. Chose to leave the team. He was going to concentrate on his schoolwork. Then transferred to Michigan State. Is now playing at Michigan State. Um and you know, which is great. Michigan State's undefeated. And he tweeted. I follow him on Twitter. He tweeted last week, uh, a couple hours after the game, the Desmond Howard thumbs up photo from the TV screen when Devin Desmond Howard gave the Michigan thumbs up right before the last play. And Frank <laughs> Epitropoulos was was all over that. Um, I guess I forgot what we were talking about. We just shut the mic. Here's off. a question. But Austin Max six two. I just wanted to say. That. Oh, that's a good. That's a good. Trend. Ask him about that when he's on yeah. shoes rep and recruiting. Um, the thing that interests me is the guys that are on this team now because of Urban Meyer that would not be here if Urban Meyer wasn't the coach. Because there are definitely guys on this team playing huge key roles who would be here no matter who the coach was. Eli Apple would have crawled to Ohio State. Right, I mean, he's the guy who he's came to camps good. when Jim Trestle was the coach. He would be here. Um, I'm I'm trying to, to, like fit. Billy Price would be here. Well, the Fickle Six would definitely be here because they, they are here. They are here. <laughs> um, um, I know at they 2012 were... because this is a good blend. Because 2012 is when. Well, but let's look at but let's look at 13. I want to look at 13 because I want you to tell me the guys if that's the great class and it is. Who are the 13 guys that are here because of Urban Meyer? And, Von, I, and I think there are a couple that stand out. Von Bell definitely stands out, right? No, it, it, would Jim Trestle go grab a five-star safety on signing day from the Georgia-Tennessee border and yank him I mean, away from SEC there's, schools? There's one. No, I think that Von Bell definitely fits that description. Yeah. But there's one player in the 2013 class that fits that description more than any of them. And he is. Do you know who I'm going to say? Yes. Dontre Wilson. Oh no! I was going to say. I thought you were going to say Ezekiel Elliott and tell your Ezekiel oh, Elliott story. Yeah, yeah. But Dontre Wilson was the Oregon flip H back signing day guy out of Texas, out of Texas that they went and got, and that was the thing that everybody forgets. And it's not good or bad, but Jim Trussell was not the signing day heroics guy uh, by design. By design, he got his classes filled up early, and he. Um, you know, recruited Ohio even harder than, and I wrote about this already, but harder than um, Urban Meyer does for, for good and for bad. And by the time everything was all said and done in February, he knew who his class was. And I think that Urban Meyer always, in all three classes that he's signed since he's been here, has had wild cards on signing day. And Dontre Wilson was like the Stefan Diggs replacement, you know, because he missed on Stefan Diggs. But to go get the short, speedy, 
H-back prototype that Urban Meyer wanted on Texas from Oregon on signing day, I think is the most prototypical, not prototypical, the most Urban Meyer-iest type <laughs> recruit there could be. The, the one thing I think is always interesting in recruiting these national kids at Ohio State, and this was true under Trestle and it's true under Urban Meyer, if you poke around, lots of times you find an Ohio connection, and that's what that's what opens the door because even Urban Meyer as a national recruiter isn't going to spend a ton of time on kids from far away who have never been to Ohio or heard of Ohio State and have zero connection to it. It's it's really hard, I think. We we yeah, I mean that was like whole... Cam, you know, Cam Hayward was a huge recruit for Ohio State and Cam Hayward led directly to Bradley Roby, which was another huge recruit because their mothers were friends, they went to the same high school. Did you read my story today? Uh Is that in there? Yeah, I'm going to say, say that I read it, no, but I didn't read didn't. it. Nigel Warrior, four-star safety from Sewanee. Is that how you say it? Oh, for real? Sewanee, Georgia. Look at the lead. Sewanee Pipeline. Okay, but listen. So they now have a Sewanee Pipeline. Oh, Peachtree. It's Peachtree. Peachtree, Peach Peach Sewanee, Georgia, yeah, Peachtree. Peachtree, Peach I know that Is name. Is it Sewanee? How do they get Cam oh. Hayward here? Yeah. Cam Hayward, his dad is Ironhead Hayward, who went to Pitt. He has family connections in Pittsburgh and I think some in Ohio. So he is a guy that Jim Tressel on that staff went down to Georgia, plucked out Cameron Hayward, who was a future NFL number one first-round draft pick, but it wasn't out of nowhere. And then once Hayward's here, then Bradley Roby, who maybe didn't have that connection, all of a sudden you know, they get that flip from Vanderbilt and everything because there's a connection. So it's not out of nowhere most of the time. So, you know, like you're seeing it even now as they're nationally recruiting, because like, Richard LeCount is the perfect example of that too. Who is a? He is a former teammate of Raekwon McMillan, who is another Georgia prospect. There's a lot of Georgia ones. It happens with Tristan Wallace. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, like once you get one, I miss the connection. You get one, so double, you double dip. dip. Double dip for seconds. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's that's a good element of everything. But like as Bill and I, if you followed our glorious road trip through the South. After the national championship game, Ari and Bill. If you're new to the podcast and you're getting introduced to our Ohio State coverage through this podcast, you really have to understand what we do here because it is insane sometimes. So just give them the 30-second breakdown of your road trip. Uh, we drove to Dallas because we had the intention of driving back through the South after the national title game. And we stopped at high schools and colleges and awesome po'boy places and Every and I wanted to stop off at Harvey Updike's house. I mean, every single possible Ohio State relevant story we could come up with in the South, we stopped at. You thought you had Harvey too. We thought we yeah, had we Harvey until the end. He pulled the rug out from underneath me. It he was, still DMs me sometimes on Twitter, which is kind of weird. <laughs> it was it was three thousand miles, roughly three thousand miles, and fifty hours in the car with Ari and his SoundCloud account that is. Basically, just the theme song for any Vegas nightclub. Um, it was pretty. It was pretty sweet. Really good time, Bill. Felt real close to you on that trip. But nice. the point is, is that that Doug was making originally. And the reason why we bring it back around is that we. I wrote a long story from Louisiana about how Urban Meyer himself, even at Florida, never signed a Louisiana prospect. And it's interesting because they had Richard Lawrence on campus uh, for an official visit on Saturday for the Penn State game, and he is an LSU commit from Louisiana. And guess where he's going to go? 
Right. It was a. It was like a miracle he came on the official visit, but he's going to LSU because he's from Louisiana. It's really hard to go national. But I find it interesting. I remember when Jim Trestle was the head coach on signing day, they would always talk about how many official visitors they had in that recruiting period and how many guys they signed. And they were talking about it because they loved their conversion rate. It would be something like 33 official visits and they signed 24 kids. Hmm. And now, wow, how many official visitors? I I think it's anywhere between 70 and 100. I mean, like they don't, Urban Meyer doesn't want that conversion rate. He wants every top five-star kid in the country to come on an official to Ohio State, even if he's from Louisiana and committed to LSU and he's probably never going to come here. I don't think Jim Trestle, for lack of a better word, would want to waste his time with a kid like that. And that, I think, is understandable. Four words. Urban Meyer is happy to. Four words. Get him on campus. And you never know. Miracles happen. And it's not so much of a miracle. I don't know. For as famous as Jim Trestle was... And we had the Fame podcast, what was it, three weeks ago? Yeah, something like that. I don't think Jim Trussell was as famous as Urban Meyer. And I think that there's like a certain aura about Urban Meyer that allows him to do it this way. And it works. And they've gone national and they've gotten their guys. And we'll talk. are we going to talk about the plucks? Yeah, we'll talk about some plucks. Now, the, the other thing too is, I mean, we don't want to... I mean, Urban Meyer, as a recruiter, his status is well known. Jim Trestle did a very interesting job with what he did. Jim Trestle got Ryan Shazier here after Ryan Shazier wanted to go to Florida and then Urban Meyer quit at Florida and he was looking for somewhere to go. Ryan Shazier is a Florida linebacker who came to Ohio State, was the 15th pick of the draft. He got Jeremy Cash here out of Florida, who was another huge grab out of Florida. He's an All-American safety at Duke. He left. He's the big guy that Ohio State lost. He was here as a freshman left after Trestle left. He wanted to play for Jim Trestle. So as, as Urban plucks more, Jim Trestle still did it here and there. It wasn't as many five-star guys, but he would go down and get a guy like Brian Roll as a linebacker out of Florida, a three-star kid who comes here and is a two-year starter. At I think linebacker. you should define what pluck means, just so. Pluck a kid out of an area. Reach in with your little recruiting tweezers and <laughs> pull out one little thread of an area that is dominated by other people. And I think you have to be strategic with that. I think you have to look for the right kind of kid who wants to go away from home, maybe who preferably has a connection or at least a coach that knows you or something like that. Um, You know, I I remember Ohio State when they got Etienne Sabino and Travis Howard out of the same high school in Miami under Jim Trestle. Guess who was like a volunteer assistant at at that high school? Chris Spielman's dad. You know, it's like it's not a coincidence when a lot of these things happen. So sometimes we don't even know about it. But then yet sometimes, like as far as we know, did Von Bell have a connection? Did Raekwon McMillan have a connection? Because those are the plucks that are astounding to me when you can go into SEC country and pull a kid without any real ties to Ohio and you get him here and he's a star. I don't think that there's a connection that I'm aware of with Raekwon. No, um, I know that he's named after Raekwon the Rapper, and he's from New York. But that Rutgers, might be the best one. Rutgers had no shot at him. That might be the best one, and we'll see what kind of player Raekwon McMillan develops into. He was a contributor as a freshman. He's their leading tackler and their middle linebacker um, as a sophomore. But Is to he get the best a, one? I think he was the best one in terms of what his recruiting rating was yeah, status and the competition ranking. around him. It's about status, 
and location. He was more highly regarded than Von Bell was. He, yeah, he, I think he was like the number one outside linebacker in the class. Um, but that, but that again is strategic. And Bill, you wrote about this. We're talking about Raekwon McMillan because he was a Georgia guy, right? And you guys, Georgia was one of the stories you wrote and you talked about. What did you find? Again, this is the strategy. It's all about the structure and the strategy of where you spend your time and energy. And I guess even without a connection, Raekwon McMillan was worth it. Why? Because for whatever reason. Georgia, flush with high school football talent, those kids are more willing to leave. And part of it is probably because there's really only one dominant football program in the state. It's not like Florida where there's four places you can go and X however many in, in the surrounding states. But who, who was it? Venzel Bolware was the kid we went and visited, right, when we yeah. were in Georgia. And his quote was, you get used to seeing the best players leave, which was like, whoa. And it's like, like, could you imagine someone gotta, in Ohio saying that? you got to think about right. the inverse of that. Like if Raekwon McMillan with the high school of Glenville in Georgia signed him. Right, no, yeah, it, it would be, I mean, it's astounding. We wrote about when Eric Smith and Marshawn Lattimore, like, said hello to Nick Saban, and we were like, oh, my God, what if they go to, they might go to Alabama. And I don't think they ever really were going to go to Alabama, but it's impossible to consider. But yet in Georgia, it's not no, that No, it happens unusual. all the time. And when I wrote that, people, I got a lot of uh, flack from Georgia fans for writing what I wrote, because I guess maybe it could come off as an indictment on the University of Georgia, and I guess in some way it is, because it be. I mean, the best players in the state are leaving, but Georgia certainly gets theirs more often than not. They build up a good program as well. But the the idea that Georgia is probably the number four or five producer, maybe even higher than that, of high school football talent in the country, and those kids are willing to go, it's like no... Well, we no, just, I, no, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I mean, I always cut off Bill. That's okay. Poor guy. I'll just drink my coffee. Yeah, iced coffee. Um... What, what was I going to say? Do you put the ice cubes in your in yourself? Coffee. You just get regular coffee and put ice cubes in, as opposed to like a fancy mix. He does thing, it in right? the press box. It's no, unbelievable. I do that. No, this what I'm drinking right now is. I had a nice person at Tim Hortons make this for me, but sometimes I'll make it my like in the press box at Ohio Stadium. They don't have iced coffee, so I'll make my own iced coffee. He do you drink coffee. any hot coffee anymore? I do. I prefer iced coffee, which might I don't know. It might be a. a Bad read on my part. You get mad at me because I, I like the mystery flavored dum dums. Yes, I think liking iced coffee as opposed to hot coffee is like similar to that. Is it does it does it burn your tongue? No, I just find it more refreshing. More refreshing. All right, you brought you opened the door on the mystery flavored dum dums. <laughs> Listen, you go. We go eat wings, and they have all kinds of lollipops afterward. They have like thirty lollipops. And 25 of the lollipops clearly have a labeled flavor. Cherry, root beer, butterscotch, grape, sour apple, watermelon. And you could pick that flavor. You could decide what you want and get exactly what you want. And you pick the question mark. And then most of the time you unwrap it and you're like, And you're disappointed. What about the mystery draws you in? It's the rush, man. It's the rush, yeah. It's like... uh... I, I don't live my life on the edge in, in, in many aspects, but that is the that's how I throw some spice into my life, man. When you pick the question mark, though, is there something you're hoping for? No, there's some, there's things I'm hoping I don't get, but no, I don't think there's I don't have a preferred flavor. Of you're dumb. gambling when there's no reason to gamble. And I, I love think that it, I think it's because that I don't have like I'm not I'm not a gotta have a root beer flavored dum dum kind of guy. Like I'm, I'm open to all the flavors with the exception of cotton candy. Cotton candy. What don't you want? Cotton, cotton candy. candy. That's the only one. Candy. 
How often have you gotten cotton candy when you pulled the, the question mark? Like 80% of the time. And then what do you do? Do you eat it or not eat it? No, I eat it because I, yeah, that's, that's my punishment. I do feel like if you pulled the question mark, got a flavor you didn't like, and threw it away, that would be a betrayal. Yeah, I agree. I had a really, really, really solid point I was going to make about what we were talking about, and I have no idea what it is now. I can't even remember what we were talking about. What Georgia. Was, we were still talking about Georgia. Okay. Oh, yeah, I know what I was going to say. Okay, say it. Uh, um, I had a debate, and we had a discussion, I think, with Ralph Russo when he was here, AP National College Football Writer, about why Ohio State's been able to avoid the down year. Uh, a lot of major college football programs that have been great are legendary programs, the way Ohio State is, USC, Texas, Notre Dame, Florida, Florida State. I mean, all of them have gone through lulls. And the reason why I believe Ohio State never has is because they have such a recruiting advantage slash basis of talent that they're going to get no matter what, year in and year out, because Ohio State's so deep. And Ohio is the only state, or Ohio State is the school and only school in the state that's going to get the best talent in this talent-rich state. Georgia, I would argue, it, what? Why isn't Georgia the same way? That's why. What? That's what I'm getting I don't at. Know. Okay. Georgia is not the same way, but Georgia is the only major SEC powerhouse program. In, now, I think Tennessee is pretty close, and I think there's some bordering. Yeah, but I mean, I think like that's it, the same as Penn State or Michigan State yeah, and Ohio guys. It, it's unbelievable to me that Georgia has not been in a national championship picture. Because I think Georgia, I don't know the stat off the top of my head, but isn't Georgia even deeper than Ohio in, in high school talent? I believe I, it is. I think it's at least comparable. When you see the NFL rankings of like the states producing the most NFL players, I think it's usually Texas, California, and Florida are the top three. And I think Georgia's fourth. And like Urban Meyer's like, well, Georgia's the perfect risk to make because it's an SEC program or SEC's area, but like people leave there. And it's like, it's inexcusable that Urban Meyer could say, could you imagine? I just cannot even imagine if. Um, Rick were to say, I'm going to go to Ohio because it was a good shot that the best players are going to leave. Yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, and this was several years ago, but um, when Jordan Hicks was the best linebacker in Ohio, and he went to Texas, and he actually had a family connection to the strength coach there um, that helped influence him to go there, Jordan Hicks, who now plays Did for the Eagles. Did he grow up in Texas, yeah. somebody said? We were watching the birds last night, and somebody we were talking about this. And then, well, I can't think of the guy's name. Who's the guy that's Braxton's good friend that plays that's Alabama's linebacker last year? Trey DePriest. Trey DePriest. That was consecutive years that the best linebacker in Ohio uh, went to somewhere other than Ohio State, and it was like the world was ending. And by the way, while they were losing Jordan Hicks and Trey DePriest, they got Ryan Chazier. <laughs> Ohio State did. It's like, oh, they got Ryan Chazier instead. Um, but that was like a unique, rare thing, and it was traumatic, I think, for Ohio State you, fans. And it happens in Georgia. You want some Georgia numbers? All the time. Here, come in with some Georgia numbers. <clears throat> okay, this, is, this, this is from the story that I wrote on the road trip. And these are as of the 2014. Oh, I think it was the 2014. So... Since 2005, Georgia has signed 35% of in-state five-star players. And LSU has signed... I use LSU as a comparison because it produces about just as many kids. LSU signed 67%, and Ohio signed 73% of its in-state five-stars. That is a tremendous stat. And if anybody from Georgia actually gave you crap, it's just fact. shove it's that it's stat back yeah. at them. That's insane. Yeah. No, it's... Uh, and I, like We were talking, like you were just saying... Were you at Braxton Miller's? Yes. Do you remember how like uncomfortable it was for like the minute before he announced that people thought he was going to leave? 
Like there was a chance there before he pulled up yeah. the arm, and I was like the lead of QB Quest, which is another philosophical recruiting story about why quarterbacks so programs try so hard to get quarterbacks to come from far away, and they never do. QB Quest, go read that. Google it. Hashtag QB Quest. Um, might have been, I think, the most interesting thing I've written since I've been on here, and I am just full of interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like it, I just like that's the thing. Like, what if Braxton would have gone to Georgia? It's it's always. I mean, we've all been at those. It's always a little uncomfortable or awkward when you, the in-state kid doesn't go to the in-state school. And they have every right to go wherever they want, and it happens all the time, but it's still always, I think, wherever you are, there's that assumption of, like, well, of course, if the in-state school wants you, you're going to go there, unless you live in you New are- Jersey, unless you live in New Jersey. We're going we're gonna to get out of here in a little bit, um, but I want to transition... Uh, New Jersey is the Georgia of the North when it comes to this. And Ohio State is playing at Rutgers on Saturday. And and I think perhaps actually, and I, and I don't think I'm going to write this this week, so I'll just say it. We might mock Rutgers a little too much. Rutgers has been very mockable lately with their AD and their coach and their issues and their suspensions and the players they've lost. Um they have a Big Ten win this year, and Maryland doesn't, and Indiana doesn't, and they won eight games last year, and I think they should get a better coach than Kyle Flood, and I think they should get more than like one good recruit out of their own state every ten years, but they actually are more competitive than we probably give them credit for. However, they can't recruit anybody in their own state. Nope. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's really bad. And it's just like, it's just harder... I don't mean to keep piling it on Georgia, but Georgia's supposed to be like a powerhouse. Like, that's the difference, I think. Uh, but, you know, we're going to be, uh, I don't want to give it away, but I think we're going to be dipping our toe into the New but, Jersey topic. But, but it's interesting to me, it's like in the Big Ten, now that New Jersey is a Big Ten state, you know, it's like if Minnesota doesn't have any great players, Minnesota has like one top 300 kid every year. New Jersey has 14 of those kids. Yeah. Rutgers should be more talented than Minnesota. The State University of New Jersey should be on an equal playing field with the State University of Pennsylvania and the State University of Ohio when it comes to recruiting, at least recruiting the kids in their own backyard, in their own home state. And instead, Rutgers is is like Minnesota, is like Nebraska. You know, there are one-tenth as many kids in the state of Iowa as there are in the state of New Jersey when it comes to elite Big Ten level college football talent. And so I, I think there's no reason for Rutgers in the future, now that it is in the Big Ten, to there's no reason they can't keep a much greater percentage of those kids at home. And we know Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State and Alabama, Minka Fitzpatrick with his interception return last week for Alabama, we know those schools are going to hit New Jersey. But they, they hit Ohio too. Those New Jersey kids, Rutgers has to get more of them to stay home. Numbers? Numbers. I pulled up my story I wrote about this a year ago. Because we write about this every year <laughs> when they play Rutgers. Like, oh my God. Well, this one actually happened in March for no reason. Ari <laughs> just could not take it anymore. Like in the basketball, middle of basketball season was like, I got to rip Kyle Flood. Well, it was just like I made a tweet about like somebody was, it was about Rashawn Gary who was still out there, but like there's no chance he's going to Rutgers. And I just said, Rutgers is never going to be a competitive team in the Big Ten until they can have a realistic shot at landing Gary. Not even just getting him, but just be in the actual mix. 
more than just a ran- more than a, just a, a sympathy cute, hat on a the sympathy table. Hat. And Rutgers Nation on Twitter <laughs> came at me hard. I think they go by Chop Nation. Chop Nation. And I wrote a story called An Open Letter to Rutgers, Why Kyle Flood Isn't Doing Enough in New Jersey to Make Scarlet Knights a Contender. Last full three, the last three full recruiting classes, 2013, 2014, and 2015. 2013, Rutgers signed one of the top ten players in New Jersey. 2014, signed none of the top ten players. 2015, signed none of the top ten players. So, of the last 30 top ten players in the state of New Jersey over the course of the past three years, only one has signed with Rutgers. You know who signed top ten Jersey players in 2015? Syracuse and North Carolina. It's like sometimes it's like listen if 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 Nick Saban comes and steals your best player, I mean stuff happens, right? If Urban Meyer comes in and takes a guy out from under you, maybe what are you going to do? Yeah. But North Carolina, Syracuse, even though it's close, Rutgers. You know what's close to New Jersey? Rutgers is close <laughs> to New Jersey. Yeah, I don't know where I'd rather play, Rutgers or Syracuse. Oh. Rutgers has a. And, I mean, facilities matter and and all those things matter, but you need a dynamic coach in there who can. The the home state thing is a real thing. Making the great state of Ohio proud, which Urban Meyer loves to say, is a real thing. It's a real pitch. It's a thing that works with people. And there is an inclination in many, many people to want to make your own community proud of you, to want to have your mom and dad be able to drive down the road to the game. And if you cannot exploit that as a head coach of a state university and get more than one top ten kid in three years, then somebody else needs to have your job. Sorry, Kyle. Okay. <laughs> we, uh, we had another whole topic that we were going to talk about. I can't about. remember what the other topic was. Yes. We were so close to like having the perfect segue to it, and that was... Was it the dum-dums? The it dum-dums it was the dum-dums kind of got us off track, maybe, but we were going to talk about the gamble of plucking. And we didn't. I don't think we got to the gamble. The, we, we talked for forty-five minutes. I, okay. We did like a supplemental gamble pluck because we talked about Trestle and how he took more Ohio kids and he didn't miss as many Ohio kids. Can you do like gamble plucking in a minute? No. All right. Sorry, no. What's our headline now? Is is Urban Meyer a better recruit or better at recruiting than coaching? Okay. And in parentheses, in parentheses and Georgia sucks. <laughs> <laughs> And mystery dum dums. Um, so we'll do. We can gamble pluck another week. Is that Next all right? Week. I don't know. Yeah, come back. Yeah, for, come back for gamble plucking on the bad podcast. Uh, Bill, Ari, and I will all be in Piscataway uh, at eight o'clock on Saturday night. Brief pit stop in Philly for Ohio's. Bill's gonna gonna do it Philly style. Doug's gonna be knee deep in empanadas. Apparently, um, <laughs> I do like empanadas in New York City. So we're gonna do that. And then Ohio State on the bye week, the week after. Uh, I believe the podcast will exist in some form that week um, because just the demand is so high. So um, for Bill Landis, for Ari Wasserman, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for listening to The Bad Podcast. Check us out at cleveland.com.